Hello, and thank you for listening to Unpacked, the History Talks podcast from History Colorado Studios. I'm your host, Tamara Trujillo. In this talk, you will hear from Mayra Alvarez and Silvia Fernandez of Borderlands Archives Cartography, giving the lecture, Understanding U.S.-Mexico Borderlands, Newspapers Mapping Geographical Borders. It was recorded at El Pueblo History Museum on November 7, 2018. For more podcasts from History Colorado Studios and for a reading list to go with this episode, please visit historycolorado.org backslash podcasts. Good evening, uh, everyone. Thank you for accompanying us uh, today. Uh, before we begin, I would like to thank um, the Pueblo History Museum for the invitation and Debbie specifically for the warm uh, welcome. Uh, our presentation, oh, well, before we begin, this is the website for the project we are working on. It's called Back Cartography or Borderlands Archives Cartography. That's what it, it uh, represents. And also, uh, this is where our presentation is going to be. So you want to uh, revisit some of the slides of the information, you can do so. Uh, we'll have it the, at the end as well, the information. So. Uh, our presentation, as Debbie mentioned, is Understanding the U.S.-Mexico Borderlands, uh, Newspapers Mapping Geographical Borders. So uh, this is, uh, well, <laughs> I'm Mayra Alvarez and uh, this is uh, Silvia Fernandez. We are both uh, graduate students at the University of Houston. And, um, and this um, presentation, it's uh, about a project we began um, a year ago. Yes, a year ago, more or less. So before we begin, we have to talk about someone. <laughs> we need to address the elephant in the room. But uh, this presentation touches uh, how national discourses about the border continue to ge uh, generalize, stereotype, uh, invisibilize the history of communities along the region. However, newspaper archives demonstrate the contrary which is what we work with, documenting how borderlands identities emerge through history as a result of the loss of territory, immigration, exile, and deterritorialization. The presentation will also go in depth as to how Borderlands Archives Cartography, the project, was created to visualize, document, and analyze um, the junction of several cultures and the diverse history of borderlands by embracing our past and honoring the multiple experiences of our communities, as Chicana historian Emma Perez uh, mentions. This is done by using a digital map uh, to display a U.S.-Mexico border. In order to, in order, um, Mexico border cartography that records the geographic location of 19 and 20, well, mid 20th century newspapers in order to conceptualize this region before and after uh, the division line. Back objective is to understand the complexity of border, uh, borderlands history, identities, and cultures to challenge the continuous discourse against this extensive reason, I mean region. And before we begin the presentation, I'm going to show a video that presents the controversial or several declarations, uh, discourses by the now President of the United States, Donald Trump, um, during his um, 
candidacy and also during afterwards. So let's just remember a bit of what he has said regarding the border. There you go. I thought we don't remember. We will build a great wall along the southern border. And Mexico will pay for the wall. 100%. They don't know it yet, but they're going to pay for the wall. I would build a wall between our country and Mexico. When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're not sending you. They're not sending you. They're sending people that have lots of problems, and they're bringing those problems with us. They're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime, they're rapists, and some, I assume, are good people. Thousands of criminal aliens to freely roam our streets, walk around, do whatever they want to do, crime all over the place. There are at least two million, two million, think of it, criminal aliens now inside of our country. We will begin moving them out day one. As soon as I take office, day one, my first hour in office, those people are gone. So the Mexican government is not happy with me to put it right. And again, I respect Mexico, but their leaders are too smart for our leaders, because we have stupid leaders, okay? We have a country, we have borders, we have no border right now, we don't have a country. We have to create, number one, we're going to build a wall. We have to have a wall, we have to have a border, and in that wall, we're going to have a beautiful, big, fat door where people can... So this type of rhetoric about the border are not new. Um, as many of us uh, know, newspapers document how time after time national discourses provoke fear about the border by threatening to shut it down and using troops to secure it and demonize border residents and undermine their legitimacy just like it occurred during the Mexican Revolution, during the Plan de San Diego Revolt, during the Mexican Repatriation, among other events mostly unknown to the general public. And this is problematic since we are left out of the national discourse and history, which is different from, from what has been documented by the fronterizos in the past. Our personal experience has been the same with this current events, uh, which has led us to speak out and continue searching for material that centralize and humanize the border region. And not only the current border region, but the the one that we also know that existed before the 19th century. So some of these are um, testimonios of fronterizos as to how they see the border. So in, el, in the case of El Paso Bishop Mark uh, says, uh, he says, for us it's a place of passage, it's a place of encounter, it's a place you cross in order to join your family. It is not this place of armies confronting one another. We have a different understanding of what a border is and should be. And the same, uh, another testimonio by Edith Tapia, where she says, uh, we have very unique circumstances, but we make the best of what we have, sharing what, that with people from the 
from the outside has always been a shock because they imagine the border to be uh, this empty land. They continue, they come here and express, I didn't realize it was big, I didn't realize it was a city. So this is in relation to the current border, but as we know, it's also, um, there's other testimonials by um, uh, the borders of the 19th century, right, um, that are left out of that history. And uh, us as fronterizas, or in my case, um, I myself as a fronteriza, I identify as a fronteriza, and Celia as a transfronteriza, which is uh, different from some identities, um, in my case, fronteriza meaning uh, living in one of the um, in the side of, of, of the Mexican side of the U.S. side of the border, but a trans transfronteriza, like in Silvia's case, moving daily on a daily life, you know, back and forth on that region because of family, because of uh, education, because of many reasons. Um, we have different experience and we have different views of it, and that is also important. And it's also um, important to document and to consider besides all these discourses that are being set at a national platform. And as a Gloria Saldua, a border native from the Rio Grande Valley of Sub-Texas, in her book, La Border Borderlands La Frontera, The New Mestiza, describes the border as an open wound that continues to bleed when referring not only to the U.S.-Mexico relations, but also Latin America and Native nations, as well as since the past and current attacks against the borderlands communities continue, as previously mentioned. So, to, and that has an effect in different degrees. It is the current border situation that led us, Sylvia and I, to push back and do something about it. So, given that we're in Colorado and, uh, uh, and in Pueblo specifically, how do you see the border? In your case, I mean, we talked, uh, I, um, I mentioned some of the ways we see our current borders or what Sylvia and I see as the, the border, but how do you see the border? Yes. Originally, I, see, uh, I don't. I, I, uh, I guess what I believe is that the border is, uh, it's like a man-made thing and that our people did not cross the border, the border crossed us type of philosophy. That's what I believe. Uh, what Salua has mentioned as well. Uh, yes. Uh, I regard Pueblo as sort of like uh, Berlin used to be uh, the intersection of uh, communism and capitalism and, and, and our Arkansas River was the intersection of Mexico and the United States uh, up until 1848. I think there's a real uh, issue with education and that our uh, people have not been told the truth about why we had a border in the first place because this was not an agreement made between Texas and the United States. It was made through an imperialist war of expansion and the, and basically it was it was not a, I consider, uh, fair, <laughs> if you can say that, but basically uh, it, it has a lot to do with people's perception because of what Trump says, we brought all these tr problems here. And in fact, uh, 
they took the problems to us and then they decided who was who were bad and who was good and all these things began to have a uh, an adverse effect on how we view ourselves as uh, as uh, citizens and indigenous people of this of this region. Yes, you're an illegal in your own land. Exactly. More? No? Okay. So these are some of the things that we're going to approach um, as we move on on the presentation and into the project. And uh, so. I'm glad that um, that you shared those those uh, those views because again, we see how we all have a different view and at the same time similar views, right? Of what is the border? So as fronteriza, as a fronteriza myself uh, and Silvia as a transfronteriza, we see our identities that lead us to conceive a borderland as an intersection that shares a common land and um, through its historical, cultural, and political and transnational, binational systems, which allows us to embrace the history of the borderline communities and understand the struggles which are different and similar in other border regions. And this is crucial to consider the multiple exper experience because it allows us to question the continuous negative discourses, as you mentioned, um, against the borderland. And what Gloria Saldu and Cherry Moraga say in this bridge called My Back, writing from radical women of color, is that they emphasize the importance of the personal experience as a form of resistance by developing what is known as theory in the flesh. And I quote, it is one where the physical realities of our lives, our skin color, the land concrete, uh, concrete we grew up, all fused to create a politic born out of necessity. We do this bridging by naming ourselves and by telling our stories in our own words. So that uh, basically what they're saying is that our experience, our own personal experience, is uh, what we need in order to reconstruct right that history and is as valid as any other form of history. I thought someone is. So therefore, um, with our personal experience, within border communities, as well as our academic formation, led us to create a project that allowed through the use of archival, archival material and technology to visualize, visualize other understandings of the US-Mexico border region. With this in mind, Borderlands Archives Cartography, and this is the website for an image of the website, what it looks like, emerges a resistance to aggressive discourses that attack Borderlands communities between Mexico and the United States that stereotypes used against this community, as well as immigrants, Mexican citizens, Latinos, among others, have great repercussions on the region since these impositions become part of the individual's identity, making them invisible nationally and globally. And with this in mind, back emerges, emerges in early 2017. It is dedicated to locate, map, and facilitate access to 19 and mid-20th-century digital newspapers from the United States and Mexico border region. Through visualizations, the map projects the geographical location of the publishing newspaper establishment, which can be found in the, in the project website. And to provide a, dip, a deeper historical and archival context, the objective is to bring to the forefront the history of the borderlands and its community before and after it became the current division line. The integration of technology with archives can be described as a digital humanities practice. 
um, this form of interdisciplinary research allows us to expand the notions of U.S.-Mexico borders, methodologies, data analysis, while utilizing archival material. So basically is putting the history that we know and using technology, so forms of technology to project that and interact with it and recreate our own maps and recreate our own history and recreate our own timelines, right? And not be subjected to the uh, colonial way of thinking or the colonial mindset as we're taught. So why use the newspapers? In the current and past political rhetoric, the geographical and ideological border between the US and Mexico has been displaced as a threat, forcing us to understand re this region as a divided space by invisibilizing transnational relations of almost two centuries. However, these issues and attacks are not recent since Borderlands newspapers have documented this kind of sentiments. And uh, here is gonna be a, a slideshow of several newspapers that are in the project. So though the printing press was first introduced in the Americas in 1533, 14 years following the arrival of Spaniards to the region now known as uh, Mexico, the, president, the pres persistent prevailing perception is that the United States has always been the neighbor, uh, the neighbor leading innovator and dominant producer of cultural advancements. And this is not the case. According to Nicolas Canelos, Mexican and Mexican-Americans and Latinos and Latinas inhabiting the Southwest have been participating in literary productions, self-documentations that predates the birth of the United States. It is the borderlands, in the borderlands that these cultural interactions gave rise to new identities as a result of the loss of territory, immigration, exile, deterritorialization, border flows, and transnational dynamics. The project focuses on newspapers because they contain publications about everyday issues local and binational businesses, among other topics, documenting the communities of the border. On the other hand, publications on the US side have helped individuals and communities to protect their rights by fighting against segregation and discrimination, particularly after the cession of the Mexican territory uh, to United States in 1848. Similarly, uh, according to Nicolas Canelos, this maintained the language and culture, raising the educational levels of the communities through the publication of creative literature in Spanish, including poetry, literary, literary prose, serial novels, and plays. So in addition, newspapers on both sides of the border have documented various political, um, social, and economic processes from, colonial, from the colonial era to recent events that contribute to the understanding of the region and its multi-dimension cultures. With a print culture, while the print culture is rooted in the Mexican history, uh, influences distribution through the Americas, the access to the archives from minority communities is limited and not well known. This is due to the uh, prioritizing of material for digitization and preservation, as many have pointed out. And I quote, access to digital periodical archives are unevenly distributed with the largest collections sold by commercial providers beyond the means of smaller institution and independent scholars, end of quote. These practices are problematic since the material accessibility is crucial for representation and, it is, and if it's limited to scholars and even more so to communities which, belong, which it belongs to. So basically what, uh, uh, what we're trying to say is that 
Again, this project uses digitized newspapers, that, uh, newspapers that have been digitized that we can use to project them through a map, which we're gonna see in a moment. Uh, but if that material, uh, it's not taken care of, if that material is not well archived, if that material is not uh, digitized at the end, right, to continue preserving it for the future and for um, access, you know, beyond the four walls of an archive, um, then that becomes problematic because it means that it limits that knowledge that we uh, the, that is should be for all of us, you know, to read. So this is what it shows. The graphic is um, the cities and um, also the 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 cities on both sides uh, in Mexico and the U.S. where the newspapers that we have at the moment come from. So although this may look that there's not enough in Mexico at the moment in relation to the to the to the border, it's also telling us something that perhaps we didn't uh, we didn't realize at least Celia and I until we work on the material, which is that uh, in regards to Mexico, the way that the newspaper was published, it was to major cities. Unlike the U.S., there were um, um, individual. Uh, um, printers, right, uh, that are sometimes family-owned, sometimes by institutions. So there was more uh, types of publications, right? So that shows us as well, you know, uh, the history of how that is documented, how that history is documented from both sides. And also, again, the importance as to why um, having the material digitized, like I just mentioned in the quote, being uh, ending in, in this great uh, large corporations, you know, you know, they usually are run by libraries, and that's where you can access. Um, if they're to buy, and they're the ones deciding what gets digitized according to their their needs, and uh, then we don't have a saying as to how to reconstruct that history. You know? It's others are having that saying, and that's why we we. Um, also began this project is to challenge that, the way we think about archives, you know, and the way that we approach archives as well. So with Bax Transnational Archive that utilizes newspapers from both sides of the US-Mexico border region, the inquiry that arose was how to approach the material due to history, the history that bonds and separates them. The solution was found in the newspapers. The year publication served uh, to define what was considered as the borderlands region and determine how newspapers will be selected, categorized, and organized. The project protocols established the historical periods, which allows the selection of states to be included. Since the older newspaper that we have at the moment dates back to 1808, the colonial period, uh, states further to the north were incorporated such as Colorado, Nevada, and Utah. Currently, back protocols include 19th century newspapers from all the states, because as we know that uh, the border uh, was, uh, was uh, this all territory was within those uh, limits. And um, the newspapers of the 20th century uh, concentrate in border cities um, according to the current uh, division line. And this is due to the fact the border between the U.S. and Mexico has gone through geographical and political transitions that establish what is now known as the uh, current division line. 
So Silvia, uh, I'll go ahead and let Silvia continue uh, explaining a little bit more on the newspapers that we have from Colorado, as well as the what is the Borderlands Archives Cartography Digital Map, how it works and what it does. Thank you. Um, so thank you so much for being here. Um, I will continue. Um, as Mayra just mentioned, um, some of the, we're on the stage of look, identifying newspapers from the northern states of Mexico, which as Mayra just mentioned, they're not digitized. And sometimes these newspapers haven't been considered as valuable because mostly when Mexico is referred to, they go to the south or to the capital, but a lot of newspapers have been published in all the northern states. Also, um, the other stage where we're on, it's identifying newspapers from Colorado, Nevada, and Utah. And from the state of Colorado during the 19th century, these have been the newspapers that we have identified. Mostly, the newspapers are from T Trinidad. And it's a, it's a little town, right? But in the 19th century, it was producing a lot of newspapers. So what does this tell us? That these little towns, these border towns, are telling us a lot of history that has been erased. And newspapers have been documenting that. Um, there's no Pueblo newspapers. There's some um, newspapers that we have identified, but it's from the 20th century. So we, we don't incorporate in based on our protocols, but there are. And where we found those newspapers are in this book, that it's um, Hispanic Periodicals in the United States, Origins to 1960. But the issue is that we don't know if these are digitized. So that's, um, we're on that stage of no, um, looking at those if they're digitized or in order to work on that, in order to incorporate it on our map. But, um, can you borrow this piece? So after that, um, the, this is the data that we have, we have right now. And I want to ask you how those how could you address the geographical border transitions based on this data? And that was our question. So in this circle, it's the outer circle, it's the titles of the newspapers. After that, it's correlated into the historical period we defined. And after that, the third correlation, it's on the state where they belong to. But we are not able to see those geographical transitions, right? We're just doing the data. Also, if we move into the physical map, it's the same issue. Like right here, we're able to see how um, the map used to look like before the states were part of the United States. But how can we incorporate these newspapers into this map in order to have some interaction? 
So that was our questions. How can we use these newspapers in order to visualize those transitions? So that's what it took us to move forward to what it is the digital map. And I'm gonna interact with this, but <laughs> um, so this is the digital map. It's in process like everything. Um, we're trying to improve it every day. But until now, we have 285 newspapers. As you can see, this is the border region we consider, right? So there's no lines, but the newspapers will tell us how these transitions have moved on, okay? So if we go into, for example, period one, period one is, is the colonial period, and it covers the years 1808 to 1846, okay? So what do you see in this, in this visualization? Right, yes, so the newspapers from the Mexican side are concentrated on the capitals of the states, okay? And from the U.S. side, we integrate what is Louisiana, because in the colonial period, it was the Spanish borderlands. So for example, if we click here, we will take a look at El Mississippi, which is the newspaper that was published in 1808. And this was, this is, um, you can have access to it when you click here, and it will take you to the newspaper, but as he was, as Mayra mentioned, there is certain um, accessibility. Some of them are free to access. Some of them you have to have access to the database where they're at. But all of these are in digital format. Um, then if I go back, um, I want to take you now to to period, oh, there's no internet. So yeah, okay, here. So let me go into period two, which is something really interesting, especially because we haven't identified that much newspapers from the U.S. side. And why do you think is that happening? Do you have any ideas? The time frame, it's from 1847 to 1854, which is the U.S.-Mexico War. Do you have any idea? We haven't, yeah, we haven't identified that much newspapers in the U.S. side. The ones that we have identified are on the Mexican side. So 
the newspapers, some of the newspapers that we have identified on the Mexican side are published in English. And their document and their um, um, reporting news to a US audience. Okay, so I will go in a moment to tell you more about that, but just keep that in mind, okay, for the second for the second period. Let's go to the last period, which obviously it will have more newspapers, which is the third period. So this is the most um, that has a lot of newspapers, and it's understandable because it it is the last period, right? From 1855 to 1930. So there have been more preservation of these newspapers. But also, during these times, it was a lot of productions in the border areas, especially in the Mexican Revolution. That, especially in El Paso, and now that, that, what, that was what it moved me to this project. When I started looking at all these newspapers that were, were published in El Paso, I was like, my city has a lot of history that they don't tell you about it. So when I started going depth into the newspapers, these newspapers move from the Mexican side to the US side because they didn't let them publish, they didn't let them report what they were reporting about the Mexican Revolution. So most of these journalists move as exiles to the to El Paso. So if you we have seen, because we went over the addresses of the newspapers in order to map them, this is documenting the press in the border areas because gentrification is erasing that. Most of downtown in El Paso that now are Chinese stores used to be where they were publishing these newspapers, used to be where these journalists as exiles used to live. Yes? Yes, um, well, in Nacogdoches, this was um, where it was the first printing press in Texas. And what we have found is that the first newspaper it was in 1813 in Texas. So it, it used to circulate the newspapers, but we have our theory is that also a lot of these newspapers were erased. Right? They were destroyed because it will be documenting the story of how the U.S. took the Mexican territory in a certain point. Being Mexican citizens? Yeah, the, it was the army. Especially it was the army, and I will go ahead and explain you that part. But so the map, you're all invited to interact to the website. And here in the website, you can take a look at, like, if you want to just look at newspapers that were published in, in New Mexico, we have 109 newspapers from New Mexico. And there are all these. Um, you can have access to those and take a look at what was happening in these different periods in this area, 
okay? And as you can go, it will, you can identify newspapers from different perspectives. Um, can I have a minute so I can see what, where I might? So when projecting the data established by the protocols, another inquiry emerged regarding the visualizations of it in regards to the historical border transitions. The use of a digital map incorporating a transnational newspaper's archive aids to create new ways of mapping the territory. Alexander Kors states, maps are a tool as much as an end. They allow us to see data in a new way and to ask questions that send us back to the archive to reconstruct the stories within the maps. Additionally, historian Edward Ayers indicates that digital maps allows to see movement, manipulability, and specificity of, this, of the dynamic maps give us a glimpse of what deep contingency may look like over time. By allowing us to see space and time at a distance, it, re it relatively abstracts ways, the maps shows us dissolving and crystallizing patterns otherwise invisibilized in rows of numbers or static maps based on the same data, as I showed you before. At the same time, geographic information system allow us to add other layers to question the hegemonic discourses imposing this geographic geopolitical space. For instance, Bach's digital map destabilized the notion of the border as a recent division line, allowing the visualization of multiple identities found within the newspapers. This challenges political discourses that perceive and impose the idea of the space like a wasteland or a war zone, right? So it's this idea that the, news, the, the borderlands doesn't have anything when we have seen that it was a lot of multiplicity of, publish, of newspapers publishing in this area. So it completes, it erases completely that, that idea that has been in these discourses. Um, now, um, going back to this idea of multiple voices, which is something that we have encountered while looking at the content of the newspapers. And as historian Vicky Ruiz indicates, contrary to popular media depictions of Latinos as people who arrived the day before yesterday, there exists a rich layering of nationalities generations and experiences. There is the need to seek a fuller recounting of this history and encompassing both trans-hemispheric and community perspectives. Hence, the project focused on transnational newspapers archives in order to include the multiple voices of US-Mexico borderlands communities while also providing a transnational historical context through its platform in order to analyze the newspaper content, its relevance and importance. So as you go into the website, we um, incorporate certain content, historical content, based on both sides in order to have that balance because Mexico has their history, the US also tells us the history, but also we incorporate certain resources of people that have documented the borderlands through different projects, where they give you another perspective of it. Okay, so in let me 
So this is the part I'm talking about, about the projects. And let me, let me come over here. Um, this part, so going back to the idea of the multiple voices, this newspaper, each newspaper from each um, period has their own identities, has their own situations. That's, that what the, that's what the borderlands is about, about diversity, about contradiction, as Gloria and Saldovato is about. And if we go into the colonial period, which is a newspaper that it's called El Mexicano, but take a look. This was published in 1813 in Natchitoches, Louisiana. But here, the news are reporting what's going on in Spain in a bilingual format. So even though Mexico already was independent, the Spanish Empire still control the newspapers. Another example, it's on the second period, and as I was mentioning before, the American pioneer was published in Monterrey, Nuevo Leon, but it was in English, and it was reporting what the Mexican army was doing to a US audience. So these newspapers will cross the border in order for the US Army to know what was going on in Mexico, because a lot of the army, the US Army was established in Mexico during that time. And the last one, that it's the current division line period, this newspaper is published in El Paso, Texas, La Patria. And as you can see, this is more similar to the situation of right now that they're trying to, trying to do this binational agreements, especially in agriculture and the factory. But now we can see this nationalistic sentiment, right? We can see the US flag with George Washington. You can see the Mexican flag with Miguelia, um, with the, uh, <laughs> I just forgot it because I'm a little, with Miguel Hidalgo. So this is how the transitions of each period tell us different identities, different generations, different, um, con how do you contemplate the borderlands in different perspectives according to your way of life, according to your history. And the newspapers tell us this. So where's my, thank you. Um, so Borderlands Archives, so in fact, as Gloria Saldua mentions, Borderlands are physically present wherever two or more cultures edge each other, where people of different races occupy the same territory, where under lower, middle, and upper classes touch, where the space between two individuals shrinks with intimacy. So the newspapers are telling us that, right? And what it's so interesting, it's how through the newspapers, we can conceive the idea that it's not a binational thing, that it's not black and white, that it's all over and, uh, and it's all mixed. And that's, that's the idea that a lot of people, when, when you race in the borderlands, they make you understand or either you're Mexican 
or either U.S. Or when it's the idea of Mexican-American, it's also something binational. But no, if you encounter with someone from New Mexico, they will conceive that they were part of the borderlands, but you won't see them related to it. And newspapers are documenting something totally different. So that's how this map tells us a lot of complexibility. To finalize, Borderlands Archives Cartography works toward a deeper analysis of the US-Mexico border, its political tensions and transnational dynamics. This counter discourse be civilized a shared history of this region between the global north and south. This project becomes a bridge, a puente, not only by bringing together newspaper archives from both nations, but also by bridging communities, interdisciplinary research, institutions, and personal experiences. In the case of BAC, which integrates theory in the fledged practices, creates an alternative form of documenting the historical memory of the U.S.-Mexico geographical borders. By locating, mapping, and facilitating the access to this material, Borderlands Archives Cartography, as a transnational project, invites to inquire the content of newspaper archives with the aim of new interpretations of the past for a deeper understanding of the present in order to challenge these courses of oppression. And I really like this um, poem that is found in Ansaldúa, in Borderlands, where it's somos una gente. Hay tantísimas fronteras que dividen a la gente, pero por cada frontera existe también un puente. And back is becoming that puente. We have seen that back um, when we have been presenting in Mexico, a lot of people is like, wow, we have newspapers about the borderlands and we didn't consider that important. And as they see how this is empowering a lot of identities, they are moving forward to digitizing that material. A lot of people has been like, wow, I didn't thought that my identity as fronteriza, as transfronteriza was something important. And that's how we see that Borderlands has been becoming a bridge. Also, that bridge from Mexico and the U.S., that bridge from Texas and New Mexico, that bridge from Colorado and California. So it's um, something that we have, we are always in process to continue developing, but it has, it has been really rewarding for us because it's not only something that we're doing it as academics, that to have a grade or to become PhD. <laughs> no, it's more ratifying because it's giving us something that is empowering our identities and it's unifying us with other communities. Thank you so much. And um, I will leave this for you to invite you to, the, to take a look at the website. And also, we, um, we're really active on social media in order for us to provide um, material about the borderlands. And um, so we invite you to, to visit us. And thank you so much for being here. We now open this to um, for any questions. Yeah. I'm wondering 
uh, in your research, when you looked at these newspapers, if you uh, uncovered uh, at what point the business models of the newspapers changing, and you can kind of see in your period one where you've got sort of a nationalism um, type model where you're you're conveying um, selected news to targeted populations in those newspapers, and then later on you've got and you kind of touched on it some wartime era propaganda, um, and then you had another the, the, the third period where you had a different type of a newspaper model where there was probably more advertising and revenue generation from the region and so forth. Did you have some um, outliers in in that model? Did you have advertising type methods on, in newspapers in the first period, or was that really a uh, um, just a, a change in the business model? I think it's from the material that we have available. For example, from, Colon from the first period, there are newspapers that belong to the government. So that's what they have preserved. So obviously it's going to be directed to, um, they're going to be reporting about the government. But in the third period, it's more independent newspapers. So they use it more for business. And it's so interesting because there's like three pages where you can see these transnational businesses. So they're reporting, they're uh, promoting the dentist in Mexico, <laughs> right? And the bank or the cars, the sales of cars in the U.S. side. Um, the shoes or the vegetables that are more uh, are cheaper in the Mexican side. So you can see that transaction, but it's because most of these newspapers are from in independent uh, publishers. Aside from the first period that it was more of the uh, owned by the government. And also the newspapers that we have identified from Mexico is the same situation. Mostly the ones that we have are from the other uh, reporting news from the government. We have, haven't, uh, we have identified newspaper, independent newspapers, but they're not digitized. It's in the back. Uh, I'd like to know if you, uh, have any newspapers in your, uh, in your archives about the Chicano movement, which would be, you know, in the 1960s, 70s, 80s. Do you have any newspapers archived? We don't have newspapers from the 1960 because we stopped them 1930. Why? There's newspapers, right? But we stopped on 1930 because of copyrights that we're not able to. Um, when we there had there's some sections when we put the first page of the newspapers in order to promote the content for the 1960 newspapers, we're not able because they still have copyrights. So that's why we limit us until 1930. But there's plenty of newspapers from the 1960s that are documenting the Chicano movement. And I will love to see all this because also the, in the present, in the 21st century, we can see a lot of other things that, are, that can be interacting from the past. But we don't have them here. We know about those newspapers. But because of copyright issues, we can't be um, visualizing that.
in your research, have you have you been able to determine what uh, lo what uh, current um, newspaper uh, publishers now are probably going to give you more accurate information, more detailed information, whether it be a major like the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, uh, Washington Post, any of these any of these media outlets that that you would think would have a better uh, coverage and understanding and a truer in-depth idea about what's going on in Mexico and what went on in Mexico. Uh, do you have any preferences? So it has been a very problematic, this idea of how the borderland has been reported in the present because when they publish from the outside, they publish it, they are looking at it as something completely distant, but The Guardian has made a lot of really good reports about the borderland, and what they have been doing is that they're sending their reporters to the borderlands in order to interview the people that are there. But what we have seen is that what is most important about us is the local newspapers, because they're telling us the stories of the communities, which is not telling us a national discourse, but more of what the voices of the communities. And one of the things that are being really dangerous is, for example, in Ciudad Juarez, that a lot of these newspapers have been disappeared because of a lot of threats they have to close. So this is, this is why we are like, newspapers are really important because if they close these newspaper companies, what are they going to do with those newspapers that are documenting these spaces? So newspapers, it's paper, but it's giving us a lot of information, not only historically. Um, you can take a look at propaganda advertisements and study how the evolution of the business. Um, you can take a look at politics in it. You can take a look at... Um, my brother studies um, engineering, and he was like, wow, they're telling us about some minerals that this region had and that they were selling them to Europe. So it's like, it's, that's why we're mentioning it's something really interdisciplinary because it's really broad. But yeah, there's a lot of um, news from New York uh, Times, from the Washington Post that talks about the borderlands but now how the local newspapers are documenting these spaces. So it, it's really interesting how to compare how they visualize that part. <laughs> yes. Um, one of the things that is in the Borderlands exhibit, and it's talked about quite a bit, is in Mexico, uh, prior to the border moving, um, women were able to own land. Um, in your research, did you find uh, Mexican newspapers uh, or anything that was written by women or for women uh, in particular? Uh, and if so, what were any things that you saw? Uh, well, there has been research on that. Um, for instance, Clara Lomas writes about, um, has several articles that talks about newspapers and women editors or 
newspapers owned by women or where they publish their their, their articles. And uh, yes, and, and they talk about different things, education, about language, about um, uh, identity, uh, land uh, in a way. So specifically on, on their ownership of land, um, those stories are a bit difficult to track. Uh, I'm thinking, and we're talking about Celia and I in a, um, yesterday, about Leonor Villegas de Magnon. She's from the Laredo, Nuevo Laredo border. She grew up there in the, well, she was born in the 19, late 1900s. Uh, her family owned land. And she used to publish in the Cronica, um, owned by the um, Idar family, and Jovita Idar, again, one of the women that wrote in those, in those, uh, uh, in that newspaper, and she and we're talking about how uh, Leonor Villas de Magnon has this memoir about the revolution and how she viewed it because she recorded. She went into following the the troops, the Carranza. She was supporting Carranza, so she took a pho photographer, documented that on her from her view, and the um, uh, La Cruz Blanca, which which uh, were nurses that were taking care of the wounded. So all of this is like she used to, her family was, um, they were landowners. And because of the revolution, many things happened. They, uh, she ended up losing what she was, um, um, her heritage from her um, parents. And, uh, and we're talking how it's not said in the memoir. It's not said, and that memoir was published in the Cronica sections of it. So that's how. Uh, Clara Lomas, who did the research, found and compiled the story uh, following the newspaper publications. She never mentions about how at the end, when she was almost left with nothing, came back to the border and worked the land as well. That land that once she owns and now longer owned, you know, she came back but to work the land instead. So those stories are not, and she does point out, Clara Lomas, that, that that is not said. It is out of context. And other letters that are also part of the of the documentation, a part of the the, the archives that was um, kept by the family. That we know this. So yes, of course, well, um, most likely many of those women were landowners, and many of them lo lost those lands, and many of them, perhaps not them, but the, the future generations, ended up working those lands as well. Because again, all the dynamics that take place and all the uh, the turmoils and the the, the 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 political changes and the historical changes that take place um, made those dynamics possible. But for, uh, we're thinking about that instance that yes, some of these people return to the land, but in a different situation. Thank you for listening to this episode of Unpacked, Talks from History Colorado. If you like this episode, we'd love for you to give us a five-star review on iTunes. To find more podcasts from History Colorado Studios or for more information, please visit historycolorado.org backslash podcasts.